The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end it and I can't. Well, do it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Now, oh. you're welcome along. Football show. We have lots to discuss and... Just to say up front, if you notice a hint of me being passive-aggressive towards our next guest, or even just uh, all-out aggressive, you're not mistaken. Because Gavin Cooney, the 42, is going to Augusta. How are you? Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah, I'm delighted, in fairness. Um, Oh, we're all delighted for you. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're grinding your teeth there. Um, yeah, no. In fairness, yeah, got the opportunity through my uh, through my fabulous employers. I should put that out there. So, yeah, can't wait. Uh, so it's, uh, I mean, I've got a pretty cool week or two coming up because it's Ireland camp now, Latvia, and then France, and then a couple of days off, and then then head for the states. Not bad, not bad at all. We'll talk about about all that in due course. Maybe make a, an appearance on golf. Yeah, week, uh, perhaps to cast a brief glance back to the weekend that was. I would like to welcome Roy and Ray back to the club," said Steve Parrish to a frankly disbelieving Christmas <laughs> uh, fraternity. Uh, Ray Lewington back in. Roy Hodgson, seventy-five years old now. Uh, Roy yeah. Hodgson back in. Uh, Watford, January to May of last year, relegated to the Championship. I think most of us thought, well, that's probably that, but not Steve Parrish. So this is quite something. Yeah, Parrish politics. I can't see beyond uh, the man in front of you, which is Roy Hodgson back at. Crystal Palace again to replace Patrick Vieira. I mean, we all praised, you know, Steve Parrish only 18 months ago having, you know, they had Hodgson and they had a certain style of play and look, it wasn't very exciting, but it would guarantee a Premier League. And then they made the brave move to appoint Patrick Vieira and it went really well last season, FA Cup semi-finals, um, and played some great football in the league as well. And then at the first sign of trouble, ditch him and bring back Hodgson just to f- for a kind of a stay in the Premier League card. Which is, <clears throat> you know, I've never seen such a neat distillation of panic and what panic and the, lo- the potential loss of millions will do for you to go all the way back to um, old Hodg- back to Hodgson. Deeply uninspiring, I have to say. Um, and plus, like, I mean, Parrish is ignoring the fact that seemingly one of the rules in football is that Crystal Palace can lose as many games as they like and are not allowed full beneath 12th in the Premier League. You know, they do seem to have that kind of welfare floor there for you so you know happy days for Hodgson I suppose having back at, at 75 it now, it now means by the way apparently I saw it on Reddit uh, 25% of the Premier League managers now are former Watford managers <laughs> good, good I figure would, I would think even Roy Hodgson was a bit like really? do you think he was surprised to get the because he, he, he pitched up at Watford I mean and I have I just trying to remember what I remember of Roy Hodgson's stint at Watford, I felt there's a lot of sunglasses wearing, uh, perhaps gratuitous sunglasses wearing. And I remember he spoke with an air of a man who was deeply confident that Watford were going to go down. And he was, there's really nothing I can do here, lads. Um, but Palace should be fine. I really feel that they acted very hastily in getting rid of Vieira. Obviously, the, the form since the turn of the year had been very bad. They hadn't won a game all year. I think had they gone two or three games without a shot on target, so clearly weren't playing well. But they had a tough run of fixtures. Yeah. And I don't think that they have any fixtures left against the top eight, if not the top ten. A lot of teams around them. And look up, like, 
I mean, you don't have to do a whole lot to stay in the Premier League from here on. Like, there's a lot of bad teams down there. Um, and it's just because everything is so compressed, usually you might find yourself clear of danger. But, like, if, you know, Leeds vaulted a 14th place with a win at the weekend. So yeah. it only takes a couple of results uh, to totally dispel the notion that you're in any danger of going down. So real, you know, panicky uh, decision from, from Palace and, and very uninspiring. It would seem Daniel Evie is making a less panicky but very uh, deliberate decision, according to reports as well, on Antonio Conte. Expected to be sacked is the general reporting right across the board. We had Kenny Cunningham in last night mm. and he, I was like, it was, it was amazingly strong. He completely agreed with Conte. He said of Spurs for the last year and into some of last season, hasn't come across a team that try less. He looks on at them and he thinks, frankly, they're a disgrace. Mm. They genuinely are not trying. Really? And oh. yeah, he thinks he understands the Conte uh, frustration. So so he, he, he absolutely buys into the this is a man at the end of his tether nuclear option boiling over in complete frustration explanation of Conte's behaviour as opposed to self-serving I'm going to preserve my reputation he thinks Spurs and their players are a disgrace and he thinks I totally understand how Uh Conte erupted the way he did and even on Kane he said at the weekend and beyond he's looking at Harry Kane make these uh, fake attempts to press and oh so I'm out of the game sorry you've knocked it by me Mm. Uh, Bruno at Anfield style and he says there's a danger if Manchester United buy him, they're buying Ronaldo part two problem. His legs maybe have gone physically as well as just application. So it was really interesting. I, I had thought Kenny would be, well, you can't do that publicly. Yeah. This is not how things work. He was far more in the camp of they are a disgrace. That's, I'm, I regret not hearing that now because I hadn't heard that elsewhere. What, have you any other, other examples of, of them not trying? Oh, take your pick. Really? Why? Yeah, yeah. And, and numerous, d- did he feel again I'm sorry I didn't hear this but did he feel like that's going back to last season as yeah. well or is this okay because his results were pretty good last season no no he's, he's, he's toward the end he has looked at them and thought there's something very odd about that dressing room for some time and he's noted the numerous games where they go behind and that's a trigger some way mid second half for them to go right come on then Let's try a leg. And he says they're obviously a very good team then because they've lots of good yeah. players. And but, but is that not the original sin of a manager that he can't motivate them not to try? Well, he... And I know like in an ideal world that's not fair but life's not fair and football it's always easier to get rid of one manager than a full dressing room. So, you know, taking... Oh, I think he know, understands how this is going to go. Yeah. Yeah. He looks at Kane and... I mean, you, anyone else can listen back to it but he does see a slightly... Um, self-serving uh, senior pro in that dressing room. He thinks, oh, you, you know, Larice, mm. Son, quite self-contained, focused on his own performance, well, I, Kane on his own performance. I would agree on Kane because like Kane insisted on playing half fit in the Champions League final. He wasn't fit for that game mm. and it cost Spurs. It really did. Like Liverpool started Firmino who wasn't fit but Klopp could at least take him off. But, you know, obviously, yeah. Kane, you can't be subbing Kane off. He's like the, the Ronaldo um uh, the Ronaldo comparison is a good one in the yeah. sense that you couldn't sub Ronaldo off but obviously you can't so Kane off sorry I interrupted so he thinks like it, it's not that they're quote unquote bad pros or you know that was the talk around Old Trafford for numerous years the senior pros there weren't setting a good example he doesn't think Harry Kane's a bad example per se but he doesn't seem as a leader 
doesn't see Son as a leader, doesn't see Larice really as a leader. So he thinks uh, what Larice is captain of France, like that's I know, a bit harsh, I think. yeah, potentially is, but he thinks it's a funny dressing room. Yeah, and Conte's had his fill. Maybe, I still don't think you can come out and and say those things. I mean, it's his job to motivate the dressing room. Um, now, actually, Matt Doherty was doing press with Ireland today, and he was interesting when asked about Conte. He said that he, he redefended Conte and said that, yeah. one of the greatest ever managers. Hopes he hope he say, uh, stays at Tottenham. And there was, but the most interesting line was he wouldn't say something to the press that he doesn't wouldn't say behind closed doors. I had those quotes. Uh, I hope he stays at. Spurs for a long time he's an unbelievable coach an unbelievable manager he won't say anything in the press that he won't say to his players he's completely honest with the players has the passion for the whole club for me I hope Spurs stick by him hold on to him for as long as possible he is one of the best managers of all time two things if ever a player might have felt aggrieved and quite happy to kick a manager when he's down it would be Doherty and and Conte and secondly Doherty was not afraid to go on 2FM and let everybody know just how little Roy Keane did completely so his word here carries a lot of weight. Yeah. So now I'm I'm firmly in Conte camp here. Wow. Okay. Well, I've, I I was because I was re- when I heard Matt Darty was doing press, I was really looking forward to him answering that question because you will get, like you say, an honest response. And he was treated very shabbily by Conte directly with those comments back last October. I'm not silly. I don't want to lose or something in reference yeah. to playing Darty. And then he was treated terribly by the club. You know, there was go on loan at the last day of the January transfer window, and then oh, hang on, we actually have too many players out on loan so we're just going to have to rip up your deal here Matt sorry about that look um, there's the he really, uh, he really stood by him which, and as I, I am now reading that line in a slightly different light that he wouldn't say anything uh, to the press that he isn't saying behind closed doors um, I still I still think he shouldn't have said it I can't I not if he wants to continue as manager I mean it's over now but he clearly doesn't want to continue as manager no um, and like I know Conte has personally had a very difficult season with, you know, um, he has been pretty significantly ill and he's also had, you know, is a Jean-Pierre of Ventrone at Spurs. He passed away. The fitness coach, Sinisa Mihalovic and Gianluca Vialli, who's close with reportedly as well, all passed away. So that's like personal circumstances have been very difficult from for the last few months. But I have to say, I thought those comments were a disgrace. You, I, I, you can't come out and, and slaughter your players like that in public. And it can't be so obviously self-serving because it's of a piece. He's been, you know, he's been critical of the players throughout his time there, really. Has been critical of the supposed um, um, unrealistically high expectations of the supporters as well. Um, And I I really did feel like, is this the most obvious example we've ever had of a manager washing his hands of responsibility for something? Mm. And it's also, like, not to get too highfalutin about it, but it is like a new postmodern stage for football's banter era like this is fully postmodern now when the manager is uh, um, quoting the memes used to insult Tottenham you know this was lads it's Tottenham or Chiellini this is the history of the Tottenham I think actually Conte's line was the story of Tottenham is this or something along those lines um, and I understand like he's obviously extremely unpopular there now because he does give the impression of hating Tottenham Yeah, and I've always hated that um He's always, and in fairness, this is back from as soon as he began at Tottenham. Conte has cultivated this perception that I'm too big for here. No, he's not. Mm. Tottenham is a big, big job. You know, you're you're in the Premier League. You're in London. You're in a massive new stadium now. Like how many? Like you've got a. You don't have the biggest budget in the Premier League. But you'll have a bigger budget than if he goes back to Serie A. I I never got that. I never got that idea that he was too good, too good for Spurs. Mm. His logic, and he said it at one stage, was, why should I protect them anymore? Mm. 
Yeah. Imagine you're a Conte and you see a dressing room which is dishonest, which is basically what he's saying. They're a dishonest bunch. I'm paid a lot of money. 15 million. Yeah. Uh, I'm paid a lot of money. The players are paid a lot of money. He knows what it takes. He's seen what it takes. And he sees just a really selfish, dishonest bunch who are happy to uh, swim downstream, uh, immersed in lovely mediocrity. Why should he protect them? If that's his perspective. Yeah, but like, I mean, you don't go out and you don't make your job untenable while you're doing it. Like you still have your job at 15 million years to motivate these guys. Mm. And I don't think, in fairness, like Kenny Cunningham's comments are making me kind of second guess myself a little bit because I'd never heard someone with credibility say that before uh, as Kenny has. It was was surprisingly strong. Just this, this, this Matt Doherty Kenny Cunningham Antonio Conte triangle I know (laughs) I'm in it I'm in that triangle (laughs) Um, but I never would have thought that these are you know in John Giles phrase bad pros like I'm I'm really really surprised that perception but obviously it exists like people with a lot more experience and knowledge game than me are saying it so it's definitely worth uh, worth sizing up but I still still have to say the Conte he obviously was an emotional reaction I also felt it was quite calculated and self-serving and I really thought it was slightly nasty. I really thought the the street to it, and you know, there was just kind of this dismissive tone about it. And then using like he knows what he's doing when he's talking about this is the story of Tottenham. Like he knows what he's echoing there. Mm. I thought that was I thought that was nasty and gratuitous. Well, I do. It, it was reported that Daniel Levy almost was like, "Can we clarify what you mean by the same owner?" <laughs> am I? <laughs> to what extent am I the problem as well? And he said, "No, no, no. It's about the players." I know, and. What's your impression of Conte speaking truth to power? You know, like there there will be a strain of supporter that will look at this and say he's dead right. You know, in the way that people would look at Mourinho um, criticising the hierarchy latter days at Chelsea, at Manchester United and elsewhere he's been saying he's dead right. You know, thank God someone is saying these things. Yeah. Well, I think there probably is something culturally very wrong at Spurs and we briefly glimpsed how good they could all be under Pochettino at their mm. peak. There is something inexplicable about their up and down performances. Is are they really that up and down though? I think they are. I think when they're bad, they are atrocious. They are. They've been atrocious this season at times under Conte. And when they're good, they're excellent. Yeah. Um, what are the? I mean, they could still finish in the top four. Like relative for their wage budget, they're actually doing pretty well. You know, I don't. I don't get this. There is an impression that Spurs are like this kind of sad sack ace and like the the perennial underachievers, yeah. but like. And I know Daniel Levy is, has made a lot of mistakes and like there were massive strategic errors in not backing Pochettino at a point of strength and then sacking him was a silly idea. Yeah. Mourinho was the wrong appointment. I thought Conte was a good appointment as it turned out it hasn't worked out. But at the same time, obviously they could have spent more on transfers but like if football was an even moderately sane business world or business model, it's actually done pretty well. Like yeah. they've built this amazing new stadium that will guarantee revenues going into the future and fix Tottenham as a major club. Yeah. And in fairness, you could scoff at it. They were going to be in the Super League. Like, I mean, they are on merit in a way, a super club mm. and they haven't gone. I don't know if Tottenham were ever guaranteed that status. So like, no. you know, Liverpool and Man United were always going to be guaranteed. If there was a Super League at any point in you know the history of English football, Liverpool and Man United would have been in it. Chelsea and Man City are in it now thanks to um, their falling into wealth, shall we say. Like, t- if Tottenham were poorly managed, they would have gone the same way as Everton. Like, mm. I mean, when the Premier League was formed, there was a big five of um, Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool, Everton and Tottenham. And like Everton have been uh, farcically managed and are now kind of perennial relegation battlers. Whereas Tottenham, through 
You could, I think I think there's an element of good management it's about very it, prudent. Um, yeah. of, of getting them to where they are and I think that you know Tottenham are fifth or sixth in the league or wherever on merit or might end up there someone has to finish there yeah. because other clubs have more money than them and they can afford seemingly to spend while incurring massive losses so look obviously they've made big mistakes but I don't I, I don't agree with this idea that they've been that they're kind of a shambles me neither Erling Haaland we should just touch on before we get into Republic of Ireland week 42 in 37 it's mad isn't it I saw the 42 goals thing and I thought uh, is that like a projected mark to the end of the season and then you realise oh my god are we watching him now uh, slip from 4th gear into 5th gear last couple of weeks it, it feels, like, feels it. like that and it feels like with Man City generally I have to say there's you know we've been there's been various points of the season where we're waiting for Man City to go on their run you know when it comes into the yeah. season, season's end and they just seem to go on 10, 11, 12 match winning runs it feels like they've finally kicked into gear on that front Um it feels like City are now adapting a little bit better to playing with him. They're basically passing him the ball. Mm. Uh, and it was the, was it the second goal against Leipzig that kind of showed everything about him in that he sprinted to press the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper knocked it long. Uh, then Akanji played it forward first time, which is not what City would always do. And Haaland was there battling to win the knockdown for, was it De Bruyne's yeah. volley off the crossbar? And Haaland had already turned and gone in to anticipate that ball coming off the crossbar uh, to score you know, an easy tap-in. So there is something... I mean, the only thing that's not really spectacular about Haaland are his finishes, because they're all seemingly from three or four yards. But then watching him in general plays utterly spectacular so I have seen he pulled out of the Norway squad this week with a, a slight groin issue, groin issue yeah. uh, which was uh, interesting timing you have to say but just extraordinary and like I assume he's going to be a shoe in for player of the year like Saka and Odegaard I think are the other contenders you watch Saka sometimes and you think how can this guy not be player of the year because the goals he scores are so spectacular but just the just the numbers are, are crazy Like, and he's doing them you know like Messi and Ronaldo reset the benchmark. It was it was Dixie Dean back in the nineteen forties. Then Ronaldo and Messi. But the rate at which Haaland is scoring, especially in the Champions League, is actually at a rate better. Certainly than those guys were were at yeah. in the early part of their career. So it's just uh, it's absolutely mind boggling. It is thirty seven games isn't even fair. It's like how many games did Pep pull him off after a hat trick? You know? <laughs> um, and what with the line after Leipzig was just like basically, oh, there'll be no more worlds to conquer. It's <laughs> just like I'm sure Haaland doesn't agree. Yeah. Pep was in funny humour that night. That was Julia Roberts. That night. was Julia Roberts' gate, yeah. And Conte, in fairness to him, the absolutely wind-up merchant that he is, also did mention, oh yeah, she came to Spurs as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that goal as well that you mentioned, the De Bruyne volley, because, I don't know, I mean, he's uh, two or three yards the wrong side. I mean, the defender is goal side two, three yards when De Bruyne hits that shot. Mm. I just don't think most forwards are that bothered sprinting in on the 5% chance, hits the crossbar. And comes back yeah. to him. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's insane. And like, I guess it's redefining what for defenders, like what is like what's good positioning and everything no, like that. I mean, if, and if you're playing Holland, you now if De Bruyne is hitting a shot from 35 yards, you now have to go. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, because right, come on, let's go early. You always hear about guys like Mark Sykes was doing press yesterday and for he's talking about playing against City for Bristol. And it's just like, and he used the, the well-trodden line. It's just like you switch off for a moment, they punish you. Yeah. But Holland has reset that again. That's not even switching off in a way, you know. You seem like okay, you switch off, you lose your position with the ball is you know in play or whatever. Um, but you just you know it just completely redefines those and uh, um, that paradigm. So it's just uh, it's been it's been crazy to watch. Yeah, it sure has. 
Uh, we have to talk Ireland. Latvia tomorrow and then they play France. We're going to take a very short break. Our football show coverage is brought to you with thanks to Sky where you can watch all the big Premier League games on Sky and BT Sport. We're taking a very short break back with Gavin Cooney the 42 in just one moment. Mentality monsters are going to use the water with the orange well rugby done. team. Someone press my arm. Take it off, Liverpool. <laughs> let's take it off the Reds and let's attach it to the Orlin rugby team. OTB AM live weekday mornings from seven thirty on the OTB Sports app. Football on off the ball with Sky. Watch big games from the Women's Super League live on Sky Sports. This is News Talk. Now you're welcome back. Gavin Cooney, the 42, is with us. Ireland in action tomorrow against Latvia, friendly, and then France on Monday is looming large. Evan Ferguson, the news is, will start tomorrow. So that will be appearance number three in an Irish jersey, his first start. At 18 years of age now, said Stephen Kenny, he's showing he's ready to come into the team. He sure is. So uh, it's been quite something to watch when the first murmurs of, he could start against France, I think. Mm. No, I mean, be sensible. And now here we are five, six days out and his starting berth against France is not even a talking point anymore. No, there's, I don't really see any alternative and he deserves to be there. You know, it's not just on reputation and it's not just, you know, uh, the national characteristic of wanting to see the new guy come in um, and, and, you know, screw those 22 year olds that were sick of watching play, you know, bring in this new guy. He should play because he's the more, he's the most likely to score, you know, and it's his... uh, you know, he's obviously landed a great club for his development. Like, that's why it's probably why this is happening so quickly. So, Kenny brought him in in November into the squad. There was no clamour at that stage. Um, Ferguson hadn't really broken through under De Zerbi at that point. He'd made a couple of appearances off the bench, I think, when Potter was the manager. But Kenny brought him in and said that, look, this guy could go on loan in January, could be playing in the championship or somewhere, and then might deserve a call-up, so we should get use this chance to assess him. So I don't think anyone really thought that he would be you know, playing regularly for Brighton at, at Premier League level. The World Cup was obviously great for him. Um, under, I mean, you know, clubs got an effective pre-season, and he, that was his first pre- effective pre-season under Roberto De Zerbi. And his whole round game is developing there. Like De Zerbi had great comments after the game against Grimsby at the weekend, talking about how you know how good Ferguson is, but how he needs to improve as well. Because nowadays in the Premier League, you've got to be a uh, be a number nine as a striker. You have to have those qualities in the last twenty meters of the pitch and around the penalty area. But you have to be able to drop in and play as a number ten in midfield um, and I think that's what he's learning there was a really good piece did you see Monday Night Football a couple of yeah it was the start of this month um, it was Brentford Fulham I think we're playing um, but Carragher did a piece on Brighton at the, st- at the top and the 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 whole idea underpinning the piece was how good they are now under De Zerbi and talked about their very modern progressive style of play Brighton actually have had a higher share of possession than anyone else in the Premier League since Deserby came in more than Man City or Arsenal, which is kind of crazy. Mm. Uh, and he showed how they played uh, when they in build up played without a striker. Now naturally, you know, I'm thinking you're forgetting our boy there. You know, I've sharpened my pitchfork and and lighting my torch at that point. But he's shown how the striker drops in and kind of plays in midfield, drops way off because they got their most of their goals through the wide players like Matoma and Sally March. Like Sally March is scoring goals at a rate he's never scored before. So Ferguson has to be able to drop into midfield almost like a 4-2-4 in build-up uh, to be able to link the play. So the fact that he's developing all those all those trans to his game is is so exciting, you know, and it's just, it's ideal for him. Yeah. And look, he's he's ready for Ireland. He absolutely looks Oh, ready. he sure is. I dare say he had those attributes 
uh, in advance of Deserby, even when he was first starting to bubble away, I went, you know, anyone can do it. You go on YouTube and watch his highlight reel. I mean, a lot of his underage Ireland stuff is him dropping deep and yeah. turning provider. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, and if Ferguson's Ireland career goes the way that we think it might, and hopefully it will, I mean, Daily Man Park, I mean, must have had like 200,000 people there uh, for the people who will say I saw him uh, uh, play against Chelsea as a 14 year old. Um, but I, I did actually see him play against Chelsea as a 14 year old. Uh, and you could see it even then, you know, I mean, Eric Malloy scored the equaliser in that game and Ferguson um, made a pass then into Keith Ward I think it was and then ran off and like clever clever dummy on the edge of the box for Malloy so even then obviously as a 14 year old he was showing those, yeah. those kind of that awareness of space around him and people around him uh, His second goal and uh, again health warning that it's it's Grimsby who aren't quite Grimsby who aren't quite France his second goal what you love about that is how in control of the situation he is and he enjoys just how much time he has and it's beyond mm-hmm. routine but I thought the first goal where the first touch was at shoulder height and then the speed at which the second touch happened into third. Now, regardless of opposition, that was just objectively eye-catching. It was brilliant. He takes it so early, yeah. you know, and you and you see, like, this is not, I'm not directly comparing it, but the first thing I thought of, actually, was Mbappe's equaliser in the World Cup final, just that ability to take the ball early. We're both getting carried away because I said to Kenny that the, <laughs> the first touch at shoulder height was, I did say, look, Kenny, you're going to laugh at me, but I mean, I thought as a Dan. <laughs> but that uh, touch shoulder height that's a Dan thing and, yeah, I'm not saying Evan Ferguson and look you know it's obviously Grimsby and he had loads of space in the penalty area but he took that as if you know he had no space you know he didn't need a lot of space to execute what he did there yeah. um, and it was just this lovely fluid movement and just almost instinctual as well to take that finish so early so yeah. it was brilliant look it was absolutely brilliant and he's he's, he's proven a, himself he scored against well Saliba now won't play for France but he scored against him he he played really well up against Canate when they were playing for Liverpool and Canate will play for France on Monday night so look he's got he's got the all round game um, and he looks you know Ireland have created chances under Stephen Kenny they just haven't been ruthless enough to, to finish them you know like we're all the way back to Martin O'Neill when he would lament the fact that you know Robbie Keane is is too old and Robbie Keane is now retired. That's our problem. But did Martin O'Neill say that? He did? once or once or twice, I think. Yeah. Um, but like the problem was the squad, the team weren't creating chances that Robbie Keane in his prime would have tucked away. Like there were no chances to miss. Now there are chances to miss. Mm. Hopefully, like Troy Parrott away to Scotland is the obvious one. That one on one. And they've never lost a competitive game by more than a goal. So, you know, the margins have been, they've been massive mistakes in games. But in fairness, the margins have been relatively fine. Mm. So if Ferguson is as lethal around the penalty area as he has proven thus far, um, might those margins might swing Ireland's way. Mm. And they'll have to. For the campaign ahead, they'll, they'll have to. Uh, I suspect to do what he's done in recent times, the answer here is very good. But what do we know of his temperament and the pressure of this week? Is go- You know, I, I always remember uh, Kevin Kilban. He used to talk about how, in a weird way, even at Premier League level, especially like an Everton or a Sunderland, yeah, there's you're on match of the day and there's a, a certain scrutiny, but there's not really like a, this, this kind of heightened sense of pressure. Mm. And you come over to Ireland and it's like... National media, all about those 11 jerseys. What are they going to do? All the build-up. You don't get that at club level, even no. in the Premier League, outside of the top two, three, four clubs. So he used to say, like, you you know, because we would talk about how, you know, it seemed like you, you could express yourself a bit more and do a bit more on the ball at club level versus Ireland sometimes. And he said, 
the thing that you, you just underestimate from the outside is the difference in pressure of club football versus playing in a green jersey. It's just heavier. Mm. So Evan Ferguson is being talked about way too much guilty here as well than I'm, I'm comfortable with for an 18 year old but such is life so what, what do we know of his temperament? I mean so far you'd have to say his temperament is very impressive in the sense that he obviously was in a Bohemians first team dressing room at 14 has, you know, has taken to the Premier League like a duck to water there doesn't seem to have been any issue there his father was a professional footballer I think his sister is, is a footballer as well I mean like having those grounding influences around you is obviously a very good thing um, but this is the highest you know this is a, this is a new level of pressure and look I mean we talk so much about the calmness of the Irish rugby team they were under a different kind of pressure the weekend and it did seem to get to them but certainly in the first half at least so you don't know how they'll handle it until they've proven that they can handle it really mm. I don't know I haven't heard anyone say that it's going to be an issue for him maybe maybe it will it will prove so I mean this is the first week he's going to have to to really handle it there was a little bit of murmurings obviously when he was brought in in November but you know, there wasn't really pressure on there because the games didn't matter yeah. and he was you know it, it had been dampened down straight away when Stephen Kenny was talking about you know we're bringing him in ahead of schedule just to get a look at him you know we know he's it's out there now he's going to play tomorrow he's going to start tomorrow night that, that seems like a major major plus because the atmosphere on Monday is going to be extraordinary yeah. so just to go through the anthems tomorrow and do all that get that out of the way for the first time that's a big bonus that's pr- probably is I was actually that's a good point because I was looking at it more from a you know why Stephen Kenny telling us this now and I thought maybe it's a it's not to sell the tickets because they've sold the tickets for tomorrow night they sold it as a bundle with the France game but it, maybe it's to make sure people use the tickets you know and didn't just well sure we'll tag on this game against Latvia because I really want to go see France but that's a good point actually just get him through all that um, through all that uh, pageantry and etc at the beginning and look he may partner him with the guy whoever will play alongside him on Monday and try and build cohesion from a you know a strategy or an attacking point of view or a tactical point of view that's a good point actually just to just to get him used to that whole rather than you know the France game France game being the very first so look temperament wise there's been nothing to suggest that he won't handle it but as you say it's a, it's a new level of pressure uh, stop me when you get into uh, TBC Bazunu. For this is for tomorrow now, or is it France? France, France I think I think Bazuni will, will start. Collins, Egan's O'Shea. Yeah, he'll stick with that. I would imagine there's not there's not really much concern about Collins not playing regularly for Wolves lately. Amabamadeli is the only person that might come in there. They like him. I mean, he has the pace, by the way, seemingly to deal with Mbappe. He was he said as much. Ten point four meters per second. Didn't he? Say, didn't he say oh, I yeah. quite like to test myself against yeah, Mbappe? Yeah, which is great. Like great attitude. Uh, and he did say he's been clocked at ten point four meters per second, which is uh, I, I found Mbappe was once clocked at ten point five five, I think, or something. But was uh, was down to a meager nine point eight at the, at the World Cup and oh. um, at the Winter, so maybe he'll have the pace. But he'll, he'll probably stick with those three. Right wing back, the dock. I think so. Yeah, I think I think the dock will start. Uh, I feel I, sharp. I'm training all the time. I think sometimes when you're playing with top players all the time, that keeps you sharp. For me, it's not an issue because he's only had one substitute appearance. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he says his brain will be sharp as well, and it will have to be. And he'll play. He'll start tomorrow night against Latvia, so to get some minutes into his legs. So yeah. he's a very important player for Ireland. His, I still his think performance he, to get away to Scotland was slow to stop that cross. Like that was that was the issue, wasn't it? You know, and he that. wasn't. He was. You know, he was coming in not having played very regularly for Spurs. Into that, he played even less. You know, he started against Spurs. Spurs sorry, four Spurs against Arsenal in mid-January and yeah. 16 minutes off the bench against Sevilla since. That's the sum of it, you know, so... And it is an area of the pitch where, you know, 
that's the main area like you know it's that's Mbappe's side assuming that Giroud will start he'll play to the left and you know Ireland will have to deal with that from a defensive point of view but that's where they're vulnerable as well Uh, not to quote him again Kenny Cunningham Mm. uh, was thinking Seamus yeah in that Mbappe's faster than either of them yeah Uh, and so Collins experience alongside him effectively if it's not quite a back five all game, it'll certainly be a back four depending Coleman on who left right, wing back is. Col- so Coleman at right wing back. Right wing yeah. back, yeah. And the only issue is like, Coleman has played the last two times, as far as I know, the last two times he's played right wing back, he's been injured subsequently, Coleman. Now one of them was in the summer against Armenia and he'd been carrying a knock from the season into that. Like he he played through the pain barrier forever at the end of the season and it happened as well, Portugal away the year before. Now I suppose he could play Doherty left wing back and Seamus on the right like he did away to Portugal. Not a bad idea to be honest um, and Coleman has been playing very well for, for Everton. Maybe maybe right centre back is his home. I, I don't know. It, it's it's great to have options and it is hard to leave out your captain one of your few regulars in the Premier League going into a game like this so maybe we'll see it but I don't know. Yeah. I don't think Kenny had Doherty in the team. I think he w- was open to the O'Dowda suggestion at left wing back. Yeah. So it was, it was McLean and Brady in the Armenia Scotland games back in September. So the logic that o- you know O'Dowda gives you something going forward it looms large, especially in Kenny's mind if you're going Coleman, right wing back. Yeah, no, I think O'Dowda, it's O'Dowda or McLean at left wing back. Like guys like Manning and Brady have missed out in the squad because O'Dowda has been playing well. and seen Kenny's eyes for Cardiff, so I think I think we might see O'Dowda there tomorrow night just one to see tr- how he goes. One of those tricky ones where and it happens a little bit with um, Irish squads, especially before any games. I dare say most of us haven't watched a ton of Cardiff, mm. and so I would be lying if I told you I had a great feel for O'Dowda's form. So yeah. I don't know if you have a great. Feeling I, I don't. I re- I haven't seen them play much, yeah. to be honest. Um, so I know Stephen Kenny didn't describe him as Cardiff's Player of the Year so far, which yeah. is you know okay. France have Ballon d'Or contenders. We have you know Cardiff Player of the Year contenders. But um, yeah. yeah, so there. But uh, yeah, Kenny mentioning the or Kenny Cunningham mentioning the prospect of Seamus Coleman a right wing back. Maybe maybe he'll play Doherty on the left there. Like he did it obviously away to Portugal last year. But uh, he did. I think Kenny, to be fair, was saying well. We also do need to try and score a goal. So, I just think that that's that's because Mbappe does like honestly doesn't defend. If you're at the game, it's, it's actually hilarious to watch because he's the most spectacular thing about Mbappe is his speed from a standing start. But when you watch him in the flesh, you realise how committed he is to the standing start. Like he does not track back. Mm. Not wouldn't like doesn't even pretend to do it. So like it's down that side behind him that Ireland might find some joy. So maybe that's that's where I'm thinking maybe Doherty, but. I'm losing. I'm losing confidence in it now. I have to say, Cullen back in. Cullen will definitely. I think they. I don't think they'll play him tomorrow night. Uh, but he'll definitely play against France. He's. Uh, he's one. Uh, he's probably the most irreplaceable player in that team. I have um, a slight concern. And look, to be fair, this is Mbappe. So you have this concern with everybody. So Mbappe gets the ball, standing start. Be it Cullen or Doherty, he chops inside there, and then it's Cullen. Uh, I'm not sure if Cullen has the mobility to handle that at all. I, I do have my worries. Like, I'm hoping if Malumbi starts, yeah. he's uh, a touch more over to the right-hand side to really snap at Mbappe because I, c- I can see Mbappe cruising past Cullen just by dint of size and physicality. Ah, yeah. Yeah, no, it probably Malumbi probably will be there, but it will fall on 
you know, it'll fall to Collins pretty quickly. Like, it will be a back three there, you know, so... He'll have to that, step in. Yeah, I mean, he, he really will. And Mbappe so. chop, chops back left and suddenly <laughs> he's in between. I mean, look, look, he can beat them all, you know. This I mean, the problem. Because, because he's so good. I think Cullen has to play. He's, he's oh, the only player that... But he'll uh, need a lot of help. Uh, ah, oh, defensively, yeah, no, he absolutely will. That's why... So that's Malumbi's in. That, that's, I think the midfield, where are we at? Midfield three, so it'll be Cullen, Malumbi, probably... Jason Knight or Jeff Hendrick, I, I think. I mean, Knight maybe. Hendrick, the only thing is, Ireland will need height on set pieces because France can kill you any which way. Like, yeah. I mean, the uh, you know they've got massive height from set pieces. Like, this is one of the things that if teams want to sit in deep against them, they'll just pick them off. Griezmann's delivery is ridiculous. And they've got, uh, they've got massive height in the team. You know, if Giroud plays, uh, definitely with Rabiot and the centre-backs as well. Like. Hendrick's been genuinely quite good a lot for Ireland over the last year. What I kind of imagine Knight really contributing is France are going to spend a lot of time in Ireland's half. Mm. Knight, when he gets the ball, he can beat a man and carry it. Yeah. In a way that Hendrick can't. Hendrick doesn't have the legs. Now, Hendrick can play a pass, to be fair to him, when he's in the mood. But I can imagine Knight, on occasion, Ireland maybe do nip, nick the ball occasionally and he can at least carry and then maybe play a pass. So I'd have, I'd have the youth of um, yeah. Knight in there because... It's going to be hard for Ireland to pass France off the pitch when they get it. So a bit of individual something is important. And oh, we don't have many ball carriers. They're not going to... It's a good point because they're not going to pass France off the pitch because France are the better players. And they're like it will be a counter-attacking yeah. game plan. That's like, where you can see Knight making runs. Yeah, and the template is probably f- Portugal away, you know, in, in 2021. And yeah. uh, back then it was the front three of Ida, Jamie McGrath and Aaron Connolly so it was like McGrath took him into midfield basically That's right. and Connolly Connolly at that time was the only forward with pace that we had now in fairness to Kenny's built up depth to the point where no one's worried about Connolly not being in the squad now because then you've got Ferguson up front mm. and you, I think you partner him with one of the speedsters in either Ogbené or Abafemi. I think if I was going to guess, I'd guess Ogbeni, just because... Oh, would you? Uh, yeah, I think, I just, I don't know, I, this is not, I don't, this is not any kind of insider knowledge, yeah. this is just guessing. Yeah. But he's just, he's got the pace to trouble France in behind, um, and he's played right wing back for Rotherham, so that makes me think maybe he'll be, you know, he'll be a little bit more defensively aware if he wants to drop off slightly to the right and into midfield when Ireland don't have the ball, and then, because that's like not to be repeating myself the, the space will be down France's left you know Mbappe won't defend and the left backs are either Theo Hernandez who had like the nightmare of all nightmares in the World Cup final and it's just not great defensively or Camavinga like Camavinga's a midfielder but he's lifted, listed as a left back for this squad so that makes me think that maybe he'll pick Ogbené and I, I just got this perception that Ogbené has more stamina than Abafemi Abafemi's a great option to have off the bench yeah uh, what is the word on our French friends, what's going on in their camp? <laughs> Can we, will we get away with more Discord in the French camp? So, look, there was these anonymously anonymous um, quotes reported in Le Figaro and maybe in Le Keep as well today that Griezmann is very unhappy, unhappy about being overlooked for the captaincy uh, for Mbappe. Mbappe, obviously, Hugo Lloris was the captain, has retired, and so now twenty-four-year-old Mbappe is the captain, and Griezmann is the vice captain. So there were these uh, reports today that Griezmann is so unhappy. Uh, that he might quit the squad. Now, it doesn't seem that he has quit the squad. Mm. Um, and look, maybe this is... Because Griezmann is very... He's a real contradiction in the sense that I've never seen such a variance between a player's off-field behaviour and perception and his on-field performances. Like, off the field, he's an absolute diva. Like, I mean, he's oh, he's thrown his toys out of the pram over things. He's had that bizarre video where he was announcing he was going to Barcelona. His hairstyles, obviously. 
So he's a div off the pitch and then he works like a domestic on it. I yeah. mean, his work for... He's like... He, he sacrifices himself totally for that team. So, yeah. We... Uh, I, I, I'll cling it to straws if Robin the Griezmann will, will, will walk out Saipan style so on, good, on the squad. He's ridiculous. Yeah. And like, honestly, his set-piece delivery is, is frightening. Like, I mean... But say like Deschamps... Deschamps' great genius of this job is to been managed been able to manage that dressing room because I did a piece for the 42 at the weekend with Raymond our old pal Raymond Dominic and now look he got a particularly tough squad to deal with Was Raymond Dominic the one who was really into astrology Yeah he was into astrology yeah To the point it might impact on team selections Yeah that was overplayed it seems okay. uh, he, he did he, hope so. he kind of he had this uh, his, Dominic has this habit of uh, of trying to crack jokes that don't really are not not really at appropriate times that kind of make people feel slightly uncomfortable and uh, he did this with the astrology thing because the French press seemingly were kind of out to get him in, in his view go on I was just going to say, I always really like that quality in a person. Oh, really? I love someone who makes terrible jokes at the wrong time. And but don't become a, the don't become a national football manager because you will um, you'll be home by those headlines for the rest of your career. So oh, yeah. it seems like he did say like he was being barraged by questions over why are you not picking Mikel Sylvester? Yeah, and he said, oh, he's a Leo. He eventually just gave up. Oh, he's a Leo. You can't have too many Leos <laughs> in your, in your defence. Um, Anyway, so he was he hit a mad French dressing room around the 2010 World Cup yes. after Turam and the last of the leaders of the 98 yeah. uh, squad went. But coming up to that World Cup anyway, um, just researching for that interview, he wrote in his book, he republished part of his diary from that 2010 World Cup and his entry the night before their first game, having watched Flora Maluda, who he had left out of the starting team, clattering into some of the guys he had included in the starting team uh, was I, I am so sick of this you know my my I, uh, my team my team talk for t- for tomorrow night should be just go F yourselves uh, sadly sadly didn't say it um, but that's a very roundabout way of saying that Deschamps has done a very fine job unlike Dominic yes. in managing the egos in that dressing room because look it's it's one of the most talented dressing rooms and we've ever seen in international football. If you're that good a footballer, you're going to have an ego. It comes with the business. Um, and Deschamps has always managed to figure out the issues that he's encountered. Well, in some respects, you would have to say the absence of Pogba and Kante, absolute nightmare. And look, Griezmann had shown an ability to drop deep anyway. But I remember just chatting to Philippe Beauclair and he's not Deschamps' biggest fan by any means. But we were chatting he was saying, look, you have to say... What is an international manager? Well, you have very few games. Your instincts have to be spot on in terms of the way you you set out the team and and where you play uh, players. And he had this massive problem on the eve of the World Cup, and he just adroitly looked at Griezmann and said, "In you go there. This is what I want you to do." Convinced him to do it. He did it with a plum, and like you kind of have to go. Well, that's a manager. Yeah. No. And that's you know there is a different skill set between being a great club manager and a great international manager. Yeah, he, didn't, he didn't have 10 games to figure no. it out. You, you just have to you have to be able to improvise at the time. And I think maybe Stephen Kenny's learned that as as uh, as he's gone along as Ireland manager, you know, like I mean playing a back 3 would have been anathema when he first took the job, but he's realized that that's probably the best for the set of players that I have at my, at my disposal. Um so yeah, Deschamps has proved himself to be like not not universally loved in France. No. Certainly, it no. seemed like Zidane was. Uh, everyone wanted Zidane as a as his replacement. It hasn't quite happened. Now that you mention Griezmann, and, and let's presume he's he's going to get over the loss of captaincy, he was so influential. I remember the England game, the first half hour, he was phenomenal. To the point where, are you saying to Evan Ferguson or Obafemi or Bene, 
you're going to man Mark Griezmann as well. <laughs> I mean, Evan, we really need to score a goal or two against France, but you're also going to have to man Mark Griezmann. But yeah. I, you can't give Griezmann the freedom in the centre circle. No, you can't because he's too he's too creative. You know, Argentina did a very good job in shutting him down. I, I don't, did they man Mark him? I, I I need to look back and see what they did because yeah. Griezmann was pretty anonymous having been maybe one of the France's best players of the tournament so far but like, Argent- like Argentina as well like they I mean I, I, everyone expects them to attack behind Mbappe's wing so Scaloni flipped Di Maria from the right to the left yes. and had him run at Jules Koundé instead who's a centre back uh, stationed a right back that no one had tested up to then and it worked brilliantly for them so I need to look back and see what they did around uh, around Griezmann but they definitely put him in check but you know the problem is like you know you can okay man-mark Mbappe but also man-mark Griezmann and then you know but don't let Giroud run off you for a corner and you know you'll have Colomani on the right wing as well he's one of the top scorers in the Bundesliga like they've just Darcy stacked. <laughs> it's insane. I saw so Mbappe captain at twenty four. Sixty six caps already. Yeah, yeah. Twenty four. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah. Um, is there talk of a defensive injury crisis or is that overblown? Well, they're definitely missing players. If you're going to call it a crisis, maybe it's a little bit overblown. Obviously, Varane has retired. Kimpembe is injured of PSG. Uh, Fofan of Chelsea and Salim of Arsenal are out as well. Okay. So they'll have, they still have Kanate of Liverpool and Pamecano of Bayern. They play together at Leipzig. Um, so they're used to playing together. Okay. And they're both individually very good. Uh, but after that, then you might be struggling, in fairness. They might have to, if one of them were to get injured and both of them are injury prone definitely Kanate is um, and they have to come through a game against the Dutch on Friday I suppose you could play Koundé at centre back and bring Pavard in at right back so mm. uh, they're also obviously missing Lucas Hernandez who's a much more defensively solid option at left back but they're, they're depleted in numbers but is it anything that we can uh, we can clutch to mm. I don't think so it is going to just be an amazing occasion I can't wait for it a final thought what kind of occasion will tomorrow be I'm hoping it'll be a bit livelier now with uh, confirmation that Ferguson is going to play. Um, I wouldn't be expecting fireworks tomorrow night. Close um, to the starting 11, do you think, for Monday? Or? No, I don't think so. I think he'll play Ferguson, obviously. He'll play the guys who will start on Monday who need minutes on their legs. Darty definitely. Okay. Uh, Collins, maybe. Otherwise, it'll be like the likes of Cullen and Egan. These guys, I don't think, will, start, will play at all. Um, and then you'll see guys make their there'll be a few kind of 50-50 calls he'll get to make their pitch so I think maybe we'll see O'Dowd at left wing back to see show me what you can do to earn a spot ahead of James McLean so something along those lines if being brutally honest if Stephen Kenny had been offered take this friendly or take a full week in the training ground and no friendly at all I think he might have taken the latter this is you know contractually they have to find friendlies to play so they found Latvia um, Latvia agreed to play very early in the week Wednesday is very early in the week to be playing like Latvia's qualifier isn't until the Tuesday this day week against Wales um, so just to get it out of the way and get working get working on the training ground mm, okay I think you're in Tuesday night yeah so the post-mortem or celebration <laughs> how do you see like how are you feeling about it because obviously as it comes closer now I'm feeling a lot more positive about it but is this some kind of delusion that I need ahead of the new campaign no I wouldn't be positive <laughs> we're having a fight in the 42 podcast like what percentage chance would you give Ireland no, of finishing the top look, two I, in this group I, I don't know um, I don't know what mood France are in post-World Cup and I suspect losing a World Cup final takes a toll for sure yeah and we'll have all of the um, enthusiasm uh, that you might expect. But I don't know. I have mentioned last night to Kenny the manner in which they found a way to lose that Scotland game and then the Armenia, the five minutes of madness. This is now a very road-tested group under mm. management team that have been there a while. We don't still feel 
battle hardened. We don't still feel like a group that won't do something frustrating. That Armenia, that Ar- blowing that lead against Armenia, and I know they won the game. Yeah. That shook a lot of people's yeah. faith. That, that, you know, that was the game to close out, and it was just like, look, we've been here now, lads. Yeah. We know how to do this. So I, I would accept that. Th- th- there's a degree of like, well, if not now, when? Yeah. About that. And it, look, of course, there's the enthusiasm, you know, here we go, start of a campaign. So for sure, and I think the atmosphere will be incredible, and I, I wouldn't discount what that will do to the Irish players. So I think they'll work like maniacs. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think it will be a, I mean, God, look presuming they don't score early but I, I don't think it will be a scoreline that we shudder at but I just think France will nick it mm. and will turn it on when they need to and you know in, invariably they're not going to be as fired up as Ireland just only human but um, as for the campaign on a whole okay, it's incredibly difficult yeah and and that's why you know in, in eight months time tricky to say well what does this tell us about Stephen Kenny yeah no you can, I I don't think we should maybe look at it through that through that lens although maybe it's inevitable that we will but I don't know maybe it's because like I'm you know just getting ready to kind of cover the full campaign and maybe it's a sense of a slight sense of delusion that we can do this I do find myself at a slight kind of pre-Euro 2012 bargaining phase it was just like look okay we'll lose to Spain so Spain being the equivalent of France away yeah um, but you know we finished ahead of the Dutch before 0-2 this is true. By the way, they have a good free kick routine, which we need to be ready for. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but it's pretty tasty. Um, listen, you're just, you're, you're, you're buoyed by the, the uh, anticipation of Augusta. So like you're, I can't, you're I look, stopping to smell the roses. I'm, uh, well, I think the azaleas, I think, is, is, uh, how, is how they're officially referred to. Uh, no, look, I'm... Here's yeah, a no, tip. I'm Not the mob, the patrons, <laughs> if you're writing about them. Uh, our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Gav, enjoy the week covering uh, Camp Ireland for the 42 and let's chat Tuesday after yeah, Ireland France. Perfect, Thanks so much. Yeah. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team This is News Talk